Our Three Cents is part of the Greenlit Podcast Network. For more information, please go to greenlitpodcasts.com. Hello and welcome to a very special bonus episode of Our Three Cents. My name is Jonathan Dunn and I'm joined by my childhood friend, Chris Dow. It's your lifetime guarantee. And my adulthood friend, Minty Booth. You'll be glad you did. And today we are celebrating your favourite video games of all time. Announcement! Announcement! It's only the bloody finale next week. You are in for an enormous treat. Not only will we be unveiling what the future of this show will be, having an epic quiz finale showdown and talking about our legitimate favourite actual video games of all time, will also be... Uh, actually, I don't know, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> I have no idea. But we're all do- <laughs> we're doing it in person uh, with each other to tie this phase of the podcast up nice and neatly with a big group hug. We'll also be filming the episode for a full uncut video version exclusively for our Patreon subscribers, which will be just a really lovely video and uh, a really nice way to sort of round off this phase of the MCU. <laughs> So if you want to be able to see that video, then head over to patreon.com slash our3cents and sign up to one of the pledging tiers and you can have access to that video, eight whole exclusive full bonus episodes, about 70 deleted scenes and outtakes, and we'll even let you in the hallowed doors of the Patreon exclusive Discord channel, where you can chat with us, the other patrons, and our superb selection of special guests from this last season of bonus episodes. Do please get involved. We would love... To have you there. So, this week, we would like to welcome you to your three cents. So, all season, uh, we've been asking for you lovely listeners to send in your top ten favourite video games of all time lists. And you did. You only bloody did, didn't you? And what we've done is pick our top ten of your top ten lists to feature in this episode today. We'll be going through your favourite games of all time and sharing a thought or two of our own on your selections. This is going to be great. There's a potential hundred games for us to talk about today. So let's crack on. Chris, you have the first list to hand. I do indeed. To kick us off today, we are having a little look at Andy Smith's list. Uh, One of our earliest Patreon subscribers uh, and, Mm. and a good friend of the show. Hello, Andy, and thank you. If I give you a little rundown from 10 to 1, and then I'll, I'll give you some of my thoughts on uh, on some of his picks. At number 10, he's chosen Final Fantasy VIII. Oh. Number 9, Don't Starve. Don't tell me what to do. Number 8, Halo Combat Evolved. Number 7, Command & Conquer Red Alert. Oh. Number 6, Age of Empires 2. Number 5, The Witness. Get in. Number 4, Civilization 4. Number 3, Dota. Number two, GoldenEye, and number one, XCOM 2. Oh, that is a PC gamer's list, if anything. (laughs) Yeah, my main thoughts looking at this list is that you can tell very much that Andy is primarily a PC man, because although there is a bit of console representation here for things like GoldenEye, Final Fantasy VIII, and depending when Andy was playing it, perhaps Halo as well, the majority of these titles, though, are personal computer games through and through, and first and (laughs) foremost. Like... At the top, XCOM, you know, as a series, it's always fascinated me, though my direct experience with it is limited to the ropey, but still quite impressive Vita port of Enemy Unknown. You know, that was the first entry in the modern reboot of the series. 
And because I didn't have a PC at the time, I, I didn't really want to play it on uh, the Xbox where it did get port as well as so the 360. And yeah, I tried it on the on the Vita and it chugged along, but it was still quite fun. And, and I liked the tactics strategy of the thing. I liked the kind of research and planning you conduct outside of the battlefield. I even quite like the idea of playing the game with permadeath enabled to make each encounter feel a bit more significant. Mm. But I just never got my head around the right way to approach even the simplest of battles. <laughs> and so the way I was playing it, my entire squad would often experience permadeath in their first excursions. <laughs> so I, I never got very far in, in that Vita port. Mm. Some of the other games, I, I know nothing about Dota other than that people play it for tens of thousands of hours. Uh, I know the core game is free and I know that it's either developed or published by Valve, I think. And it's it's one of those games I've always been a little put off by any games that are people's only games. <laughs> and and I think that's just because of my own playstyle. Like I, I'm too invested in the medium as a wide pool of experiences. And that means that even something like Animal Crossing, for as much as I truly love it, it's something I'm aware that when I'm playing it, it means my focus is totally removed from every other title that's going to be released for six months. And, you know, I think people seldom find the balance between getting good at a multiplayer-focused title like Dota or or even Fortnite or any Battle Royale title, to be honest, and enjoying a wider range of games. It's very much like one or the other for most people. And there's nothing wrong with that at all. Like, people should play the things that they enjoy and the stuff that they get, you know, enjoyment from. But it is something that is wrong for me, I guess, and, and wrong for how I like to play and experience video games. So yeah, Dota is a, is a total unknown to me, really. Some of the other hardcore PC strategy games on this list, we've got Age of Empires 2, Red Alert, Civ 4. You know, they're all strategy games that lend themselves to a mouse setup. And as much as, you know, all of these titles have made their way to consoles, I think you're honestly doing yourself a bit of a disservice playing them anywhere other than on a computer. I know they're addictive. I know they absorb people's lives. I've got a close friend who once ghosted me for several days before responding to a reasonably worried text from me with, sorry, I was playing Civ 4. So I, I know how addictive these sorts of turn-based or like grand strategy games can be. Yeah. But the, the highlight of this list for me, thinking about what I've had on my list, is, is obviously The Witness. I couldn't not mention it yeah. again. And I liked seeing it here because I know that Andy is a methodical, logical thinker. And if nothing else, th- this character of, of Andy's is really reflected in a number of the games that he's chosen that obviously require thinking and strategy, but particularly a game like The Witness, which is all about just coming to terms with your own brain in a way. Mm. And I mean, when, when I played that game, I'm not a dumbo by any means, <laughs> but there were times when I was playing The Witness where I really had to contort my brain to, to lock into the rules of, of Jonathan Blow's world. And, and I'd be really interested at some point to have a chat with Andy about how he felt playing this marvellous, marvellous title as something of a smarter gentleman. <laughs> because I, I imagine it, it could be that he approached it in a slightly different way to how we might have. And I think that'd be a really fascinating discussion to have. Absolutely. I mean, I, I love the fact that The Witness is a game that he played purely on our recommendation and it's oh, made it into amazing. his top 10. That's just lovely. That's really lovely. Doing our jobs, that is. Exactly. You're welcome. Minty, whose list do you have lined up for us? Well, my allocation kicks off with a really strong selection from uh, Peyton of RNG Party, known for their phenomenal Backspace Boken, a game we covered uh, with the developers themselves a, a good few months ago now. I'm a 4 out of 10 for games played on this list. And I've got a sort of passing <laughs> knowledge of some of the others through watching such things as speedruns, let's plays, or reading about them in gaming magazines and thinking, ah, that looks, looks fun. 
I've got lovely memories of playing Civilization V with my friend Steve back in the day. We're both fans of things like uh, city builders and resource management sims, so Civ V is definitely up there with the best of them for us too. Um, we yeah, we used to play it. Uh, yeah. Wow, we just we just yeah no, we just used to sit down and play it. Um, I don't remember <laughs> that much about it to be honest, but I do remember enjoying it. What is there to say about uh, the number nine pick, Super Mario World, that hasn't already been said? It's, it's a masterpiece and the absolute gold standard of the 2D platforming genre. Strong pick. Thumbs up from me, Peyton. I never played Kirby 64, but I was always enticed by the power-up system, combining the different powers of your enemies to make things like uh, swords, bombs and the like. I was easily swayed by review scores as a child, so I never really plumped for anything that got less than maybe 70%. Watching speedruns of the game has sated that curiosity somewhat, but I'm, I'm glad it's good enough to get on the top 10 list for sure. Number seven, we've got Fire Emblem Awakening on the 3DS, ah. often touted as being the game that revitalized the series for better or worse. Looking at you, Super Smash Brothers, <laughs> <laughs> so much so that it's... it's it, the game itself held its value for years and years and years, as Nintendo games are wont to do. I, I think I elected to get the special edition of Fire Emblem Fates over a pre-owned copy, so I can't really uh, comment on the game itself, but obviously it's, it's part of a prestigious franchise that's still going strong to this day. Stardew Valley is next, a game I played way too late to put it on my list. Absolutely no issue with its inclusion or its placement. It would definitely be sort of mid to top table for me as well. Just a fantastic game to lose chunks of your day to. Packed with all manner of things to do. People to schmooze, <laughs> monsters to kill, crops and animals to raise. And made by one person. What an achievement. It's a joke. <laughs> Utter madness. Uh, number five, Morrowind. Never played it. Or any Elder Scrolls game outside of Skyrim, but I did have a friend who sunk hundreds and hundreds of hours into it in high school. Again, it's the Elder Scrolls, it's a prestigious franchise, and the events that transpired around Vardenfell and, and the Nereverine <laughs> are felt not only in the future games of this series, but in the genre as a whole. I think it's an important and quite a succulent game from what I've seen of it. Number four and number three, we've got Pokemon Red slash Blue and Breath of the Wild. Amazing games, expansive and immersive in their own ways. One planted the flag for one of the greatest media franchises on Earth, and the other's a capstone for one of the greatest series of games of all time. And while the relative quality of Gen 1 Pokemon could relegate it to a, a legacy or a nostalgia choice uh, for some people, it's still very fun game in its own right, as we saw when the world and the dog got them on the 3DS eShop a few years back. Yeah. That's one of my favourite memories of gaming with you, Jonathan. Um, just restarting uh, the game over and over again so that we would both have all three starters and a Mew ah, before yes. we could start yeah. playing the game properly. <laughs> yeah. Ah, great fun. I won't bore you with any Breath of the Wild chat since it's O3C approved. I mean, we've said enough about it over the years. I look forward to talking about the sequel with as much gusto soon. Number two, we've got Final Fantasy Tactics Advance. Oh. And number one is Mega Man X. And while we've seen some Final Fantasy games on my list, I never really got the chance to play the Tactics spin-offs. It's great to see Mega Man on the list too. It's a series that got no representation on any of our lists, really, but it's one that's no. got a... It's, it, it's long been a mainstay of the action platforming genre. Using the powers of your fallen foes is a mechanic that pops up time and time again all across video games, and we've got that plucky little blue fella to thank for that. <laughs> Not Sonic, Mega Man. 
So there we go. Yeah, strong list this. Not quite got a bingo on the amount that I've played, but the ones that I have played are excellent. And the ones that I've heard of, I also know to be excellent. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's interesting that there's such a renowned series like Mega Man hasn't had any representation on our lists. Not at all. But given the fact that the spread of games us three have played are, you know, there, there, there's, there is obviously some overlap, but not, not a huge amount. All I know about Mega Man has come from him being a character in Smash Brothers to play with. Oh, yeah. Mr. Casual yeah. over there. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Having said that, the most recent uh, Capcom collab in Monster Hunter Rise is with Mega Man. So you can, I think you can get a skin to change your Palamute into that Robo Dog. So that's fun. Yeah, <laughs> sounds pretty mega, man. I would have thought when we started this list, knowing that that Minty, you were the you were the person that grew up with the NES. I thought you would have had one of the Mega Man games on your list somewhere, and it was always a surprise when it never popped up. Yeah, I only had three NES games, and I got the Super Nintendo sort of right at the end of its life, pre-owned. Never really bought any games for it at all, other than what it came with. So I think my journey to gaming started properly with the N64, mm. and sort of building a curated collection, as opposed to just what it came with in the box. Yeah. So yeah, interesting one. So this next list, for starters, it's it's a superb list that definitely resonates with me. And it's no surprise that it's the list of someone who's actually given me several excellent video game recommendations over the last few months via Twitter. It is Twitter user at Casper Myrowitz, also known as Metroidvaniac. <laughs> Just have a little sip of tea. So number 10, Metroid Prime. Number nine, Fallout New Vegas. Number eight, Bloodborne. Number seven, Castlevania Symphony of the Night. Number six, Hollow Knight. Number five, The Legend of Zelda A Link Between Worlds. Number four, The Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time. Number three, The Legend of Zelda The Wind Waker. Number two, The Legend of the Witcher 3 Wild Hunt. Number one, The Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild. Did you write this list, Jonathan? Exactly. You can see, I mean, there's an overlap in my list with Metro Prime and four of the Zelda games featuring on my list as well. Like Fallout New Vegas may as well have been on my list because I sort of combined it with Fallout 3 as the, you know, that, that is what I put on my list. And the remaining games are probably all games that would feature on a revised list of mine because they are games that I didn't get around to playing until after we'd started the podcast. And it's mad to think that there is a former version of me who hadn't played a Souls-like game, uh, you know, hadn't played Bloodborne or Hollow Knight. And I'd also never played the classic Castlevania Symphony of the Night, which I have now played on the PS4 collection dual pack that came with Rondo of Blood. And The Witcher 3... I mean, that's a game that I can't believe took me so long to get around to playing. Well, well, I mean, I, mean, I can actually, because obviously, I mean, sort of thinking about it, I think what I really wanted from that game was to play the lowest resolution version of the story as possible, which is why I waited <laughs> until the Switch port to finally play it. I mean, I tell you now, as soon as the PS5 upgrade is released for it, I'll be starting a fresh save file and playing it like absolute bloody hell on the PS5, though, because that game is is seriously good. And it's to the game's credit, and I mean, absolutely the credit of the porting job onto the Switch, that the game plays brilliantly on the handheld. I mean, yeah, it looks pretty ugly in a lot of places, but it still feels great to play, and the story and script and voice acting are still top-notch. And even though I, I probably sunk, I don't know, about 30, 40 hours into it, I, I didn't 
really get that far into the main story. So yeah, it'd be nice to play that again to refresh my memory of the story, see where that goes, and enjoy the full visual spectacle that the game has to offer as well. And it's, it's going to look stunning. And I mean, what an upgrade going from the Switch version to a PS5 version. My God, my goodness <laughs> God. And it's no surprise that Breath of the Wild is at number one here. I think, you know, as Minty said, it's R three cents approved. And anyone who's played it, I think, would find it hard to argue that it's not technically one of the best, if not the best game ever made from an objective point of view, if not a subjective. It's one of the games, I think, along with Mario Odyssey, that has grown in my appreciation since doing this podcast, which is incredible because... It's not been through playing more of those games themselves, but rather through playing other games and seeing what they're not doing that makes games like Breath of the Wild all the more staggering that, you know, Nintendo achieved what they did with that game. And to be honest, it's a really nice selection of other Zelda games here as well. Like A Link Between Worlds is a phenomenally good game. And again, like thinking with my objective hat on, I'd say it's it's like objectively the best 2D Zelda game. It's so well paced and so well designed and so fun to play. And Ocarina of Time and Wind Waker, they're kind of like the benchmarks of like the developmental leaps that the series took in 3D as well. Like real absolute pillars of gaming. I mean, great, great top 10. Well, well done, Casper. Thanks, Casper. <laughs> I'll continue to take your recommendations every time you give me one. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you're, you're extremely aligned. Yeah. You know, sometimes you, you meet people where it's like, no, we really do share very, very similar interests. Yeah. <laughs> because, yeah, if you'd, if you'd written a list now and, and, and put it out to us and said, yeah, I think this is my revised top 10, I, I wouldn't be shocked. Yeah. <laughs> I, I could say any number of these could easily fit, maybe a slightly different order. Yeah. But in, in terms of those choices, I, I think they are all, you know, what I've mentioned a few times as being Jonathan Dunn games. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I like the there's a specific overlap as well so between me and Casper we can definitively say that the Wind Waker is the third greatest game ever made that's that's confirmed <laughs> Chris back to you in the studio next up we have a top 10 from Gene Limbrick another fan of the show another Patreon subscriber of a long time and just a good personal friend as well now Gene's list He's been a bit sneaky by lumping a few whole series into this. It's not like you haven't done that. <laughs> yeah, it's not dissimilar to how I've used entries like New Leaf to represent in some way every Animal Crossing game. So we'll <laughs> let him off. But, but going through this list, we've got number 10, Mass Effect 2. Number 9, Quake 2. Number 8, Max Payne, the series. <laughs> number 7, Driver, but not the series. <laughs> number 6, Road Rash. Number five, Tony Hawk's Pro Skater, the series. Number four, Shadow of the Colossus. And he has put series, so I assume we're talking uh, Eco before it and then The Last Guardian afterwards. Number three, Counter-Strike. Number two, Metal Gear Solid 3. And number one, GTA 4. Now, it's a good list. Again, I think there's some really great games on here. And to pick through some of them, I think, you know, on several occasions, we've mentioned the Tony Hawk series and, and how much we, we love that in particular, or at least certain entries on it. But I think Gene gets legacy points here because I know he was enjoying these games on the PlayStation 1 long before either of us, me and you, Jonathan, got into the series with Tony Hawk's 3 on kind of the following generation mm. machines. Driver is a game that I have very fond memories of, and it sits just outside of my honorable mentions list uh, in terms of my, my top whatever number we're up to now. Like I have lovely memories of playing on the PC originally and it's a game that I wanted to play so much that I bought a 3D accelerated graphics card for 
because the the disappointment I felt when I installed the game originally and was told, you need a 3DFX card to run this title. <laughs> but then, contrasted to the smarminess I felt when I successfully opened up the Pandora's box of the PC tower, installed <laughs> some weird circuit board, and then was able to play it. Like, those two feelings are stronger than any memories I have of the game itself. <laughs> but it is a brilliant driving game. It had a huge impact on the GTA series going forwards as it moved into 3D on the PS2 and beyond. I think on the rest of the list, there's there's a really interesting mix of straight-up multiplayer games versus single-player games. Mm. So you've got things like Quake 2 and Counter-Strike, both sat on this list, I assume, because of you know the multiplayer experiences that would have been played online uh, or over kind of like local area networks and things like that. And then you've got games like Mass Effect 2 and Shadow of the Colossus and GTA 4 all taking their places because of the ways that they explored narrative storytelling in, in quite different ways across them. Shadow of the Colossus is a game I've never played in either its original form or its PS4 remake. Uh, and it's and it's strange because of how much I, I loved Eco that I thought I would have got to it at some point and I just never did. I loved the first Mass Effect but never started the second one. So, you know, I, I finished the first and then just never bought the second game. But I do think Bioware's choice systems in their games are quite interesting because of how outward they present their sort of scales and morality. And we've kind of got used to things like Telltale's The Walking Dead or, or Don't Nod's Life is Strange in sort of keeping their cards a little bit closer to their chest in terms of how a choice may impact another character's relationship with you or how it might change wider story beats down the line. But Mass Effect generally was quite happy to just slap a big old good and bad label on every conversation choice. And it's just a different way to play a game to kind of be a bit more aware of what you are doing to, to sculpt your character, you know, in the image of whatever you want it to become. Then GTA 4 at the top, I bounced off this game massively. I, I really, I, I never enjoyed GTA 4 very much, which was strange given how much I loved the 3D GTA titles on the PS2. But I, I feel like maybe it was similar to the way I played Pokemon Red so intensely and then just dropped the series Cold Turkey by Generation 2. <laughs> because, you know, maybe arriving when it did, when I was at university at the time, I, I just, maybe I didn't have the time to get into it properly. But either way, it's it's a strong choice because by all accounts, everyone else will tell you it's a, a very strong title released by a rock star who was still willing to take risks, exploring sort of nested systems-driven single-player titles, uh, really exploring what they could do with massively multiplayer action games rather than just like the kind of RPG type things. Because we know now that GTA Online is, is such a ridiculous behemoth in the way it's printing money. And, and the blueprint for that was, you know, the GTA Online that was in GTA 4. And, and it also had really interesting DLC delivery methods as well, because this was at a time when Xbox Live was booming. People were actually spending money on extra content for games. And rather than just kind of half-arsing it with a little tiny chunk of, of you know, a couple story missions or a new car or something, there were two full expansions, two full stories that kind of ran adjacent to to the main character, sort of Nico, from, from the main core story. And then, of course, I, I can't not mention Road Rash, at least as an aside, because if, if nothing else, everyone should at least go and check out the game's Mega Drive soundtrack. Like, to play it now, the game is really ropey. It's very hard to enjoy. It's got a, an incredibly low frame rate, which, you know, I, I very rarely complain about. But to play it now, it is sluggish as hell. It really is tough. But it's got a great aesthetic, great music, and to punch people in the face... Is, is really good. So, Gene, that sh rightly should have been your number one. <laughs> Next up, I've got a fellow called Gethin Jones, who has been uh, described to me as uh, a Nintendo hater, <laughs> anti-Nintendo. 
all sorts of things such as this. I have no idea if there's any truth to these allegations, but... That's the word on the street, isn't it? It's the word well, on the yeah, street. Yeah, this is what I hear when I stick my head in the reeds. <laughs> <laughs> no Nintendo games here at all, but it's all kinds of action-adventure games. So top in the list, we've got the classic JRPG, Final Fantasy VII, often considered to be the finest, uh, not only of the series, but of the genre as a whole. It's a vast world, and an even bigger story to boot. Uh, the world of Midgar's version of Extinction Rebellion decide not to just sit around in the middle of the road and sing shit songs, but actually do something and blow up critical parts of the Shinra Energy Company's nuclear reactor to stop them from sucking the life of the planet dry. Add in an elite killer soldier with the weirds of alien Oedipus complex and the power to summon meteors and boom! It's a JRPG of JRPGs. <laughs> Skyrim's here too. Who doesn't love booting it up every few months and just exploring the same caves over and over again for hundreds of hours at a time, but this time maybe you're a cat or you're, um, <laughs> uh, you're a wood elf. All the time being a stealth archer, because that's just naturally who I gravitate to every single time, despite my best intentions. I'm currently playing as a dark elf magician so I'm, I'm trying i'm trying to get through the whole game with only uh with only spells and robes so no armor or anything like that no fortify restoration glitches either which is a little tricky for me i have to say because i'm a i'm a, I'm a cheaty little boy um, <laughs> skyrim's the sort of thing that i just that's the game that i i i i put on when i just want to i, I just want to feel like unstoppable killing machine i don't want to have to feel the shame of being taken out by a bear for the 15th time this single playthrough <laughs> but yeah i'm getting there it's, it's it's tough but i'm enjoying it we've also got two tomb raider games on this list um tomb raider 1 tomb raider 2 i've only ever played the demo for i think it was tomb raider 2 i couldn't get past like a big like wooden slide that was covered in spikes which is a shame because that was the um, that was the opening area. So I've I've played about <laughs> thirty seconds of the game over and over and over and over and over again. And I think I played the first one with my with my cousins a good couple of decades ago now. Um, again, we kept getting killed by bears. <laughs> I don't have strong opinions on either game, to be honest. Speaking of not having strong opinions on games, we've got three spooky games on this list as well. <laughs> Resident Evil 2, 4, and Dead Space. I mean, they're all strong examples of the genre. I know this, but they are a little bit too much for me to play, I'm afraid. I mean, those of you who were listening back when we did our um, Halloween spooky episodes last year, I did try Resident Evil 0, and the, the, the little bit that I did play was just enough for me to handle. Um... I do like watching people play Dead Space, though. I'm, I'm more a fan of like, things like mutants and body horror than I am sort of big, jumpy, scary scares. So like the constant assault of these grotesque monsters and the doom-esque badassery of Isaac, is it? That's enough to get a shaky. I'll enjoy it as long as I'm not holding the controller from me. And lastly, <laughs> Arkham Asylum and Portal round out this list. Uh, I, I love Portal 2. In the mirror image of, of Andy Smith, I'm not a PC gamer. I've never really had a PC that is powerful enough to run anything resembling a game that isn't powered by uh, by Flash. And even then, some of them did really did really um, 
give any computer that I seem to get near just a good a good paddling. So <laughs> yeah, I never got the orange box. I never played any of the games that are on it, but I did pick up Portal 2 on the 360. Absolutely loved it. Um, and I assume it's just more of what Portal established, um, making it, I think, one of the games of the year back in the day. So yeah, great selection there. And ooh, I know nothing about Arkham Asylum. I assume it's about Batman rounding up his rogues gallery in Arkham Asylum using his remarkable bat-themed gadgets. That sounds great. What strikes me about Gethin's list is the is the is, is the clarity of it. It's all incredibly strong games that all have a fairly similar feel to them. It seems like some are spooky, some maybe more puzzly, but. They all, they all tell these grand tales of heroism, the struggle against seemingly unconquerable evil, and the bigger issues of the world that connect us all. There's also Final Fantasy VIII. Again, I know nothing about it apart from the fact that uh, the main character has a sword that's also a gun. Bang, bang. <laughs> gun sword. And if that's not enough to tantalise you to play it yourself, I don't know what will be. So there's a bit of overlap, actually, uh, with this next list, uh, I, I, I realise. And it's an interesting one for me, this one, because I, 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 could see, I could see myself making a similar list if it weren't for the fact that I didn't own any of the consoles that are featured on it. <laughs> <laughs> so I absolutely applaud the selections of Mr. Young and Gwyn, a friend of the podcast, who is uh, perhaps me from an alternate universe where I bought different consoles than the ones I owned. So, number 10, we have Street Fighter 2 Champion Edition on the Mega Drive. Bosh. Then Dead Space on oh. PS3. Portal 2 on the Xbox 360. Metal Gear Solid on the PS1. Mario Galaxy 1 and 2 on the Wii. Ocarina of Time on the N64. Super Mario Kart on the SNES. Number 3 is Bioshock on the 360. Number 2 is Tomb Raider 2 on the PS1. And number 1 is Resident Evil 2 on the PS1. So there are several, well, essentially Portal... Dead Space, Tomb Raider, Resident Evil. Oh, I mean, yeah. I think the, the PS1 games on this list are particularly interesting because, as we've cited before, there are a lot of games from the 32-bit and also the 64-bit era that were real examples of developers moving to 3D too fast. You know, a, a lot of those 32-bit games especially were really held back by what the console couldn't do rather than optimising what it could do. But the more developers got used to working with them, you know, the more refined uh, they, they got in sort of how to get the best out of their limited capability. So seeing things like Tomb Raider 2 and Resident Evil 2 as sequels that undoubtedly were more technically effective than their predecessors, that's a really interesting thing. Like, I mean, I, I never played Tomb Raider 2, not even the first 30 seconds, but I was always so envious of PlayStation 1 owners because of how much I loved the original on the Saturn that you know, the Saturn never got another, didn't get many games to be honest at all, certainly not Tomb Raider <laughs> 2 or 3. I mean, whilst I know that, you know, the original version of Resident Evil 2 is still hampered by the fixed camera perspective thing, which I fucking hate. I know that the story really shines in that sequel and I've got the recent remake queued up, ready to play on my Steam Deck when I get that. And I'm really looking forward to finally playing that. It'll be really, really cool. You can definitely see some like, nostalgia on this list uh, I, I could be wrong but I suspect that a huge amount of enjoyment of things like Street Fighter 2 and Super Mario Kart would have come from playing it with friends or with siblings and that's that's not to say that they're not they're not fine games they were 
in their day and uh, you know games Jonathan but like so much of, of uh, games and certainly you know we've recounted so many tales in, in our lists of, of games that mean so much to us because of the links that we associate with you know friends each other siblings and uh, and stuff like that so it's 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 absolutely right to see those games on the list great to see Portal 2 on the list which is a bona fide worldy great to see some more love for Dead Space I think if I'd revisited that game before doing our lists it would have featured on mine too and i cannot wait for the like this you know obviously it's recently been announced this remake or reboot for the ps5 i think that could be something really special because it really is a stunning stunning game and ocarina of times on there uh which is i mean i I don't know i don't know about you but i kind of just gloss over its inclusion in any sort of top lists because it's a bit of a foregone conclusion that it'll be up there it's like oh yeah there's ocarina of time of course but again brilliant brilliant game i think the interesting inclusion in this list compared to the other games are the super mario galaxy games and i know i didn't get to play super mario galaxy until fairly recently on the 3d all-stars collection and whilst i did absolutely you know love the game i was really blown away by its technical and artistic design the lingering remains of the motion controls of the wii did take a bit of the shine off my enjoyment of you know playing it without motion controls because i mean there were some things that just weren't really ported across to the standard control scheme and when I did set it up to play with the Joy-Cons and motion controls, there was a whole extra element of the game that was there to enjoy by by using them. And the rest of the Aaron's list is, is a very classic video game list, button combo fighters, retro games, controller-built games, you know, on consoles. And so it's a surprise to see some love for a motion control game in there amongst those other picks, which I know is credit to how well Nintendo integrated motion controls into those two games. And if it wasn't such a faff to set up and play with motion controls, I, I'd probably have really lapped Galaxy up. And seeing its inclusion here is enough to make me give it another chance. I mean, and to be fair, it's, it's not like I didn't... Like I said, I loved it. And also, I had just 100%ed Mario 64 and <laughs> Mario Sunshine back to back. So, you know, I was probably had some sort of plumber fatigue. So, yeah. Thank you, Yoan, for this list. Absolutely classic. And also, thank you for the little prod to revisit Mario Galaxy. Thank you. Every time Galaxy comes up anywhere, I feel just a little bit sheepish because I, I love mario galaxy and mario galaxy 2 but to see them like when when it first came out i didn't have a wii i, I was looking at kind of the games nintendo were releasing from kind of a like a, a third party standpoint i had my 360 i was playing the games i wanted to play on there i might have been you know chasing achievements or, or buying big shooty gun games like gears of war and i remember having a conversation with someone one night and sort of saying like, like what are nintendo doing like what, what? What are they playing at? Like everyone else is is playing these high definition games and, and shooting monsters in the face and playing online. And Nintendo are doing fucking Wii Fit and Mario Galaxy. <laughs> and then when I played Mario Galaxy, when I got a Wii a few years later, I was like, I wanted just to continually slap my own wrist. It's just don't be such a tosser. Just actually <laughs> think about things before you speak. And it it really is like the the realization of they've always kind of just released things to to the beat of their own drum you could say nintendo certainly the last few generations they haven't been chasing the same sort of clout that that sony and microsoft have but that was a real turning point i think on the wii that as much as there is a lot of rubbish on that console you you know we've said before there is so much motion controlled shovelware that has next to no value there are games like that which are just they're, they're almost perfect pieces of entertainment and and to be so kind of dismissive at the time I, I always feel like I need to be apologetic and kind of own up and say, you know, haven't always been this game's oracle. I, I do get things wrong sometimes. <laughs> Chris, whose list do you have next? Next, 
I have some more representation from RNG Party. Uh, another of the developers from that team, Ben, sent us this list. There's some real interesting ones on this. There's a, there's a real mix of stuff that you will definitely have heard of and probably played, as well as stuff that lots of people are going to shrug their shoulders at. In number 10, we have the 3DS title Attack of the Friday Monsters. In number 9, Paper Mario, The Thousand Year Door. Masterpiece. Number 8, the Wii exclusive Fragile Dreams Farewell Runes of the Moon. In number 7, Generation 1 Pokemon, Red and Blue. Number 6, Wipeout, The Omega Collection. Number 5, Mario Kart 8. Number 4, Shin Megami Tensei 4, Apocalypse. Uh, in number 3, Final Fantasy 13. In number 2, The Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time 3D. And in number one, The Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild. So we do have a bit of crossover from some of these other lists as well. But I do think there's a lovely mix of, of better and lesser known titles here. Like we, we've done Breath of the Wild and, and to a lesser extent Ocarina of Time to death now on this show. But I think there's, there's very few out there, like you just mentioned, Jonathan, who would argue to anyone placing them this high on the, on the list. And, and ditto to, to Mario Kart 8 and, and Generation 1 Pokemon, both titles that are rightly R3 cents approved. I'm a big fan of the inclusion of, of Wipeout Omega Collection, though, as, as like the first curveball on the list. And, and I'm not sure if Ben is speaking from experience of the flat or VR version of this collection, but however you choose to play it, it's a stunning upgrade and reworking of the PlayStation 3 and Vita versions of Wipeout, um, you know, representing pretty much the whole franchise to that point. And... You know, it's it's uh, prescient in a way because this series has made the news this last week, the surprise announcement of a new game that made us all go, yay, which is releasing as a card-based mobile title <laughs> that made us all go, boo. <laughs> so I'm not holding out hopes for that. But as long as I have the collection on my shelf and knowing that I can stick it in and, and play it with, with the VR headset, it is one of the fastest games I've ever played. Uh, and it looks incredible. Uh, you know, the PlayStation VR is eventually going to be superseded by pretty much all PC experiences. The the Oculus Quest is essentially almost a more powerful headset in in and of itself. And yet there are still some bespoke experiences for the PlayStation that just are better than, than other games <laughs> you can get elsewhere. And that's absolutely one of them. Paper Mario on the GameCube obviously gets an airing here. Obviously, this one is more Minty's domain traditionally, but it's a title that comes up often enough in greatest RPG lists to justify its place. But it also makes the inclusion of Final Fantasy XIII, a game that generally seems to have more critics than fans, a bit more confusing. Like, I, I can't speak from any experience whatsoever, but I remember people complaining about its characters, whinging about the gameplay being a bit more linear than some previous Final Fantasy games. And also, which was kind of salient to me at the time, that it had rubbish performance on the 360 compared to the PlayStation 3. Mm. But to have both of these on the list is why I love these being favourite game lists as opposed to best games. Because all games appeal to people in very different ways. And it's not just about a game's critical value, because as you mentioned, Breath of the Wild is something that you you can't argue it's kind of objective value. You know, it's, it's basically a perfectly made video game. But a game's critical value to you personally is completely different. And everyone will have myriad reasons as, as to why they like something based on when you played it or where you played it or who you played it with and, and so on. To round out Ben's list, we've got some great deep cuts uh, that I mentioned on that little rundown. Fragile Dreams on the Wii is a game that I only know through the ridiculous price it now commands on the second-hand market, <laughs> so I can say nothing about that. But there's also the 3DS duology of the expansion, rather than the vanilla release, of Shin Megami Tensei 4, and the downloadable Curio Attack of the Friday Monsters. I've never even heard of that. 
Apocalypse uh, is, is a layered 100-hour demon-collecting RPG. And Friday Monsters is a weird slice-of-life story that takes place in like a kaiju-infested Tokyo. But it's something that's small enough. You, you can play it in an afternoon. I think it's only about you know two, three hours long. So overall, there's a, there's a super mix on this list and, and just some very cool choices all in all. I must say, it's really, really nice to see Ocarina of Time 3D, the 3DS remake, actually get you know uh, that, that sort of recognition here because it is the best version of the game w- without a doubt and it's absolutely stunning it's um yeah it's the best way to play that game uh, no doubt about it so yeah i'm glad to see some respect for the 3ds there i should finish it shouldn't i yep you really should <laughs> you really should Vinty, whose list have you got next i've got mike williams what a list you've got here mike williams we haven't met but I like you a lot. <laughs> I'll get the ones out of the way that I haven't played and uh, probably don't really have that much intention of playing. <laughs> so Halo 3, um, obviously, uh, Halo rightfully gets credit for doing wonderful things for the first-person shooter genre. Wouldn't know anything about that, especially when it comes to Halo 3. I've played through about half of Halo 2, and we used to do lots of multiplayer stuff um, back when I was in high school. My thoughts on that are tainted by the fact that I was... Uh, really really terrible at it we'd have um little death matches um and every single time my friend would say okay this time i'm only going to use the sniper rifle this time i'm only going to use the shotgun every single time i got absolutely schlacked i'm uh, I'm just really bad at first person shooters sadly (laughs) but i recognize that they are good games and halo 3 is a particularly stunning example of the genre Moving on, we've got the, a couple of uh, Soulsborne games, Dark Souls 3 and Bloodborne. Obviously, people love these games, Bloodborne in particular. Mike has put Bloodborne at number four, and Dark Souls is, that looks like, number uh, number eight. Soulsborne games don't really appeal to me, I'm afraid. But listening to, listening to Jonathan play through uh, Dark Souls... One, two, three, and Bloodborne, actually. Yeah. And coming across all of these, if he's not playing a Metroidvania, then you're playing a Metroidvania with Soulsborne elements or just an <laughs> out-and-out Soulsborne-esque game. True. Yeah, so it, it, it's really hard to deny the uh, the impact that these games have had on, on gaming as a whole. Um, we, we see their impact for what is essentially a very young series. We see all sorts of people just sort of plucking little bits out of it and making their own games such as Hollow Knight which is oh. um, one that I have played mm. it's close to a Soulsborne experience as I would get I mean so often games have the Soulsborne moniker slapped on when they're when they're just hard but there is something about Hollow Knight I think it's the sort of the the dreary atmosphere the, the sort of the morose characters and just the impending and overbearing gloom but <laughs> just the sheer beauty of it as well that maybe that does that does it, it, it does something for me i really do like it a lot again it's a soulsborne game so it's hard and i'm shit at it so i haven't completed it but what i have played i really really do like so that's a really good pick um hollow knight and did it come out before or after our lists because i imagined it would have... it came out before but i played it after so yeah, yeah it's one yeah. that's not on my list that would 100 percent be very high up <laughs> yes yes yeah and uh, we've got we've got super metroid as well um coming in at number nine halo 3 was number 10 love super metroid a whole lot i did get stuck when i got the x-ray visor when i played it on the old um 
Well, when I played it on the Wii U, okay, I, 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 I out now bought it instead of just waiting for the SNES Online, which uh, didn't exist at that point. So how was I to know? <laughs> exactly. Don't be hard on yourself. No, you're right. You're right. I'll, I'll, I'll try to do better by myself. But that's, that's, it's a fantastic game, Super Metroid. I'm, I'm really, I, I, I do kick myself a little that I didn't put it on my list. But yeah, I think the fact that I didn't really uh, get too far into it and like the it was overshadowed a little by things like metroid prime metroid prime 2 and um and number three metroid so, fusion and metroid fusion as well yeah yeah so mm. it was and federation force oh That's of course you could forget <laughs> yeah yeah it's such a strong game and it underpins so much of what all the things that we love in these games are about it's yeah it's it's an old game, but it's a masterpiece for sure. Speaking of, we've also got Pokemon Red as well. We've talked about Pokemon Red, um, and I've spoken about probably the the only recent memory I've got of it when we were talking about, uh, I think it was, whose list was it? It was it was Peyton's right back at the start of the episode. So yeah, just us two huddled around back when we used to wear shirts and ties, <laughs> collecting all the starters and trading them over. Loved it. Loved it. Super Smash Brothers Melee as well. This is uh, this is the number six pick for Mike Williams. I think Melee is my favourite iteration of the Smash Brothers franchise. Um, there are things in other games that are demonstrably better, um, but Smash Me- well, Melee was my very very first one, and just to have all of these different characters playable in one single game with things like stages and all sorts of that sort of thing. To have all the different characters come together in a single game with different experiences and different stages tailored to not only the games that they were in, but also their abilities was something so special. Really, really incredible game to play. Moving up the list, Metroid Prime. What can be said about Metroid Prime that Jonathan hasn't said very, very recently, as it's his second favorite game of all time. It's a masterwork. There really is nothing like it. A first-person adventure game that came out uh, when everybody else was either doing third-person testosterone-fueled cover shooters or we were getting (laughs) the same war game every single year for what seemed like... (laughs) eternity so to have an adventure game that focused more on exploration and the slow building of this creeping dreadful entity that is metroid prime oh wonderful wonderful game breath of the wild is number two we've spoken about breath of the wild it's fantastic let's move on to number one which i think is a fantastic pick it's banjo kazooie whoop you will believe a bear can fly for a game that was so (laughs) early in the in in the life cycle of the 3d platformer and of the nintendo 64 there really is there's nothing like it in terms of quality other games came afterwards they were better they were bigger they were more expansive but there's just there's a rough charm and an incredible level of imagination in banjo kazooie that i really don't think has has been equaled um since it's just it's just amazing yeah i'm desperate to play it again i really am so yeah mike williams fantastic list there so i like it when a list gives you a good overview of a person i like the list that you probably wouldn't find repeated by anyone else or even just combinations of games like our 
top tens have definitely done that. I don't think you'd find other top tens that had both Shining the Holy Ark and Metal Gear Ghost Babel on, or <laughs> both The Witness and Rock Band 3, or both Saints Row 2 and Space Station Silicon Valley. <laughs> and uh, I think with this next list, which belongs to Lewis Norman, it's almost autobiographical. So, number 10, Command and Conquer Tiberian Sun. Number 9, Battlefield Vietnam. Number 8, Red Dead Redemption 2. Number 7, The Witcher 3 Wild Hunt. Number 6, Grand Theft Auto. Number 5, Half-Life. Number 4, Sensible World of Soccer. Number 3, Metal Gear Solid. Number 2, Monkey Island 2, LeChuck's Revenge. And number 1 is GoldenEye. Now, like I said earlier with Yoan's list, uh, you can see some multiplayer love in here. No doubt a lot of Lewis's enjoyment of GoldenEye came from playing it four-player split screen with mates in school or at uni uh, as you know that's where a lot of people got their replay value from the game and 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 why it means so much to them uh possibly the same with sensible soccer as well actually i i'm, I'm not sure I, I don't even know what 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 system that would have been played on to be honest but seeing any command and conquer game in a top 10 list is much like andy was is definite denotion of a pc gamer and uh, tiberian sun really was like that was like the refinement of that classic formula as well like I, I ended up playing a bit of it online over the last couple of lockdowns and everything i remembered from the original which i played on the saturn uh that was it was there and it was streamlined and i mean obviously yes it helped to play with a mouse and keyboard <laughs> but it's it's just it's just so it's so perfect that base building real-time strategy just that formula it was just it's so refined and so perfected in in tiberian sun battlefield vietnam is a cool choice like i i didn't really know about the battlefield games until bad company was released on consoles and i sold it in game saying that the buildings were destructible like that was that was the selling point there but I know there's huge love for Battlefield 1942 and 2142. And obviously, you know, the series has gone on to rival or, you know, attempt to rival COD with its, you know, online focused deathmatch, Battle Royale. I'm, I'm sure like all the other things that modern first person shooters do. But looking at like the list of, of Battlefield games, cause I, I got it up on, on, on Wikipedia just to see just how many, you know, there've been and what sort of iterations there have been. The only one that even vaguely interests me is Battlefield Vietnam because I mean, there are so many first-person games that are World War II or modern combat focused. And I mean, possibly because of my love of like Vietnam War films like Apocalypse Now and Full Metal Jacket. I like the idea of diving into a Vietnam-based first-person shooter. Like, I don't know if it's if it's more of a single-player focused game or if it's just geared towards online play, but yeah, good first-person shooter Vietnam campaign sounds like a or oh, sounds like a great thing to dive into. There's also absolute classic games on the list with the original Grand Theft Auto, Half-Life and Metal Gear Solid, another feature of The Witcher 3. And I know I've come to blows with people over my opinion on Red Dead Redemption 2. Like, <laughs> I have gone on this very record uh, to say that, you know, I, I felt it lent too much into the replicating a cinematic experience than providing a solid, enjoyable gameplay experience. And, you know, like, all joking aside, I know that that is only part of the game and and certainly, like, right at the very start. And once you get past the cusp of the uh, the establishment of the opening story, the game opens up a lot. And certainly, I, like, I, I dabbled a little bit in Red Dead Online over, over the last lockdown as well. And that is absolutely amazing. And, yeah, it's another game that I fully intend to give another chance to on my Steam Deck because I like the idea of having it be a bit more pick-up and playable. I think the most surprising entry on this list 
is Monkey Island 2, LeChuck's Revenge. Um, because, you know, like we said about Mega Man, we haven't had a lot of focus on the classic point-and-click games on our lists. And, like, for me, personally, like, despite having really enjoyed games like Mist and Riven, or, like, Simon the Sorcerer and Day of the Tentacle... But, I mean, I've, I've never personally played a Monkey Island game, even though, you know, I love the format of a point-and-click game. And, you know, the story and sense of humour that I've, you know, I know is in the game is definitely right up my street. I've just never really had the opportunity to, to play one. And, yeah, again, it's, it's a series that I'd love to, to visit sometime, especially as I know there have been, like, HD remakes, I think, of the first two games. Yeah. Like, I know, like, the, the latest Monkey Island games went the way of, like, episodic entries with Telltale, uh, which I'm sure were as good as, you know, all the stuff that Telltale do. But I also found out, because there was this recent update to Sea of Thieves, which put in loads of Pirates of the Caribbean crossover stuff. But what was not really announced or covered in, in you know, in that sort of uh, marketing material is that there's a ton of Monkey Island stuff in there as well. Is there? Yeah, like, it's easy to just, you know, it's easy to be overshadowed by Jack Sparrow. But there's, yeah, there's, there's like, Monkey Island quests. You can go and find, like, Guybrush Threepwood and his fiancée are, like, on a desert island somewhere getting married or something. And, yeah, there's there's loads of stuff in there, which I think is really, really cool if you're if you're into that, <laughs> which I'd like to be, I'd like to be into it and I'd like to go and find it in Sea of Thieves. That'd be really nice. So yeah, hopefully that's another series or at least a couple of games I can find my way to playing at some point in my life. But yeah, I, I like this list. It's a very, it's a great and eclectic list of games. Um, You know, the variety of which I'm sure, you know, give an excellent overview of, of the man himself and like the journey he's gone through uh, in terms of his video games. So yeah, thanks very much for that, Lewis. Yeah, good list there. Sure. Now, the final list that we're going to talk about today is uh, it's, it's a bit of a peek behind the curtain because we did actually choose the list we wanted to kind of say a few things about. And when I saw the ones that were on offer, I couldn't choose not to talk about David Boy's Layton list because not only does he include Tetris as his number 10, <laughs> but he left a little note in brackets that said, the perfect game. <laughs> Now, for me, <laughs> that ended up at the bottom of the list. <laughs> but it's, it's such a, it's the only representation for that game across these 10 that we've picked today. But it's another one, like I said about Breath of the Wild, it's objectively perfect. Like there's nothing you can really add or take away from Tetris to to make it that much better. Uh, and and I said when it, when it came up on my list, you know, the, the Tetris versions that I've enjoyed had to change the aesthetic or do something to kind of make them stand out. But the core is still the core. And that's what makes it so good. So number 10, Tetris. Number nine, another airing for GoldenEye. Number eight, the free-to-play game Warframe. Uh, number seven, Pro Evolution Soccer. And in brackets, just 2010 question mark. <laughs> so I'm not sure if it matters, to be honest, which one it was. Number six, Speedball 2. Number five, Tyranny. Number four, Fallout New Vegas. Number three, Warhammer, Dawn of War. Number two, Cannon Fodder. <laughs> and number one, Dark Souls. Oh, yeah. Now, I, I think this list is a great mix of, of really personally resonant titles for Dave. But as I mentioned, anyone who acknowledges that Tetris is a faultless experience automatically was going to get a gold stamp <laughs> in my book. So we, we have, like I mentioned, another show for Goldeneye here. I think Dave is, is a little bit older than we are, but it's impossible as a millennial to have escaped the cultural weight of that game, whether you owned an N64 or not. I think it's nice as well that there's a double nod here to the Amiga with the inclusion of both Speedball 2 and Cannon Fodder. Now, I know both these games from their lesser Mega Drive ports, 
but it's really nice to see representation for the UK home computing scene because it's an area that I just don't know that much about. But I think there is a real treasure trove there to explore. And in some cases, games that I do know, but would have played better on those formats. Warframe is a game that I played for a good while when I first got my PlayStation 4. And, you know, at that time, free-to-play games on a console were still, you know, a, a novelty, really. But even then, with the game kind of relatively bare bones to compare to what it looks like and plays today, I could tell it was a title with more to give than just being a standard loot box-driven free offering. Because guns felt really good to use, even in the early release, it looked really nice, it had depth, and, and I never felt compelled to spend. And it's a totally different genre to something like Genshin Impact, a game which, Jonathan, you'll be pleased to know I've not played for several months. Good. But the, <laughs> but the generosity in both those titles for non-paying players really is how I think the model works best. You know, there's stuff there to, to pay into if you want to, but if you just want to play it sort of semi-casually, it's a huge game to stink your teeth into. A big shout out to real ones like Dave that recognise Pro Evolution Soccer in whatever, guys, is the true football game. Mm. <laughs> we talked a lot on our Euros bonus episode about the, the Pez and FIFA divide, but for gameplay at the dawn of the HD era, at least, and as Dave mentioned, 2010 question mark, you know, Pro Evo at that time was still unrivaled. I know that was kind of the turning point where everyone started to just flock towards FIFA, but it was still... It was still the best, I think, for gameplay at that point. And I know that is is like the real turn when sort of the tide washed over and suddenly no one cared about Provo anymore. But for that time, it, it was great. At the top of the list, though, is Dark Souls. And although I'm not the Souls-like liker on this show, with that badge obviously going to Jonathan Dunn, mm-hmm. I've known about Dave's connection to Dark Souls for, for some time. And the honesty that he speaks about Dark Souls with is really touching. Like he, he attached a little message to the list that said, Dark Souls helped me to come to terms with depression, as well as being a perfectly tuned game with a new to me way to tell stories. It also helped me appreciate art in a different way with its heavily community-focused dissemination of lore and storytelling. And, you know, we've talked about personal links with games and mental health before, but Dark Souls, as unlikely a vehicle as it may seem as a tool for personal reconciliation or as a coping mechanism, it highlights the potential games have or the value games have to make us feel better and, and to give us focus or to connect us with others. You know, just to allow us on an individual level to compartmentalise or, or make peace with whatever we're dealing with outside the bounds of the screen. And it doesn't matter if you're playing Tetris or Animal Crossing, like I've cited before as, as great personal mood stabilisers and tools for anxiety management, or intense, challenging games like the Soul series. Games really are a collective good. And, and knowing that so many of our listeners acknowledge that and share that same sentiment is is really humbling, but also tremendously encouraging. So for that, a lovely list. And and thank you for sharing, Dave. Absolutely fantastic. So before we finish, here's a question to each of you and also to myself. (laughs) If you could only take one of these top 10 lists as your allotment of games to a desert island, which one would it be? Oh, I've looked at these. At first, I thought, okay, I think Peyton's list has a really good range of experiences. So you've got platformers, you've got action games, you've got RPGs, you've got stuff with depth, you've got quick stuff, you've got a whole range. But being totally honest, I have to take Dave's list because if I didn't have Tetris in that situation, (laughs) I I would go mad significantly faster than most people. Yeah. So I think if, if that is there as the safety net, 
I'm going with that. If I can append Tetris to any others, I'd take Peyton. But if it's just the 10 that we've got offered, yeah, I think Dave's list takes it. You might finally get around to playing Dark Souls then uh, as well, if you, well. If you had to. You, you, oh, to be honest, you'd probably, um, yeah, you'd probably die of scurvy before finishing it. Very, very true. Minty, how about you? Well, I thought it was going to be just a, a, just a, a simple decision. I thought it was going to be Mike Williams because he's got all of these games that mm. I love so much on them. But and I thought, well... Maybe I'm going about it the wrong way. Uh, if I if I'm stuck on a desert island, what else am I doing? Like arranging rocks to spell out help, or trying to find a coconut. Like I've got so much time to try and uh, to try new games. So I think with that in mind, I would probably pick. I do think it would have to be Gethin Jones's. Ah, very nice. Being isolated on a desert island. That's real horror. So, you know, I'd be able to handle Resident Evil and Dead Space. I'm older now. I'm better at games. So obviously I'd be able to handle uh, Tomb Raider, both of those. And as I'm waiting to be rescued, I can stick in Final Fantasy VII. Enjoy that for about 300 hours. Same with Final Fantasy VIII. And then just use the rest of my time to play Skyrim for a nearly infinite amount of time. So, yeah, (laughs) that's the one. That's the one for me. It's fairly obvious for me uh, that it's Casper's <laughs> list. Uh, <laughs> I, you know, I am a bit. I mean, four Zelda games that are absolute joys: The Witcher Three, which is just enormous and incredible; Metroid Prime, Fallout New Vegas, Bloodborne, Hollow Knight, Castlevania Symphony of the Night. I mean, it's just all. It's, it's you know, that's all I want to play. The the only thing is there isn't. Uh, you know, whilst there is a a Soulsborne game on there, there isn't a Dark Souls game on there, which is a bit. Which is a bit sad. So I was tempted by Mike Williams' list because he's got Metroid Prime, Bloodborne, Hollow Knight, Dark Souls Three, Breath of the Wild, Smash Brothers, Pokemon. Oh, maybe. <laughs> maybe. Uh, maybe. No, it's it's got to be Casper's. It's got the Wind Waker in there. So that's uh, <laughs> yeah, Casper's list done. So there we go. I hope you've enjoyed this outward facing special featuring the games that have meant so much to you. It's been really great to see some similar and shared opinions as it has been delightful to hear about some games that are totally fresh to our ears. I think it can be fairly well confirmed that after, you know, after this scientific survey that Breath of the Wild is the best game ever made, <laughs> but also that Ocarina of Time, Metroid Prime, GoldenEye, Bloodborne, Metal Gear Solid, The Witcher and Pokemon, all with multiple appearances. Uh, yes, yes we, we can confirm Uh, that they are good. It's been an incredible joy to engage with you lovely listeners in this way, and we'd love to continue to hear about what you're playing, what your top 10 lists are if you haven't sent them to us, and your thoughts on anything that's featured in this episode today. You can engage with us on our social media platforms. Go to linktr.ee slash O3C podcast. You can find our Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and Twitch channels, and you can chat to us individually on Twitter. I'm at Jonathan Dunn. I am at Chaz underscore Hodges. Clement underscore Boo for me. And if you want to engage with us and support us on a deeper level, please do check out patreon.com slash our three cents and consider pledging some pennies of support and we will see you next time for i mean literally literally the biggest and best episode you'll ever hear of anything ever (laughs) and now a word from our sponsor and now a word from our sponsor and now a word from our sponsor 
Hey guys, you know what's better than video games and beer? Cat videos? B. Arthur? Incorrect! Nothing! The answer is absolutely nothing! All right, all right. You know, actually, I do think you're right. Agreed. We're here at the Dogcast. We podcast about video games and beer. And beer and video games! Available weekly on the Greenlit Podcast Network. B. Arthur? Yes. <laughs> and we're back, folks, with another episode of Nasty Labs. Nasty Labs. It's a show hosted by me, Kinsey Burke. And my dumbass friend, Mark. This twice-monthly show about game development, Japan life, being nice to people, and hey, maybe a few other things. Nasty Labs is a product of Chuhai Labs Brand Incorporated, and now available for three easy payments of $4.2069. Only on the Greenlit Podcast Network.